lost deep in the pages of your Bible are the books that are unmentioned, unheard of, and unread. They are the forgotten books of the Bible. All right, welcome to Your Church Friends Podcast. I am Chris. I'm your look. Are you mocking me? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so for people who, because we don't do a video. video, what I do before we start recording is kind of like stretch, get my arms out, do a pregame stretching. Yeah, you're stretching like a yeah. little bird. You stuck your wings out and rotated <laughs> them around. It's the chickens. I've seen them do that before. <laughs> you're a mama hen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so yesterday we went uh, to San Diego. So today, uh, today of recording is Remy's 10th birthday. How many times has she had a 10th birthday? This is her first 10th birthday. Well, this is when she had her birthday party last weekend. Yeah, I was like, yeah, I feel like we're that done. wasn't her birthday. So uh, today's her 10th birthday. Super happy about it. So yesterday for her, we took we went to San Diego and did a bunch of fun stuff down there. Uh, but one of them is we went down to the beach. And we weren't in like swimwear or anything. We were in regular clothes. So we just took off our shoes, walked along the shore, got our feet a little wet. But as we're walking down, and it was pretty packed because it was a warm day, you know, our wonderful warm California weather. Why we're here, right? Yeah. Warm weather in the beach. Warm weather in the beach. Two things I hate. Uh, <laughs> but we, we were walking and you heard people say like, shark. I heard them say shark. And I was like, what? There's a shark in the water? And everyone, yeah, they're like gathered out and they're looking in a direction. And we're walking over there and I'm like, I think they said shark. And Justin's like, no way, there's not a shark there. And sure enough, I saw something with a fin just come out of the water. And I was like, that looked like a shark. It looked like a shark to me. And Justine's still like, no, maybe it's this, maybe it's that. And I was like, I don't know, it looks like a shark. Then the kids saw it and they're like, oh, this is a shark. So we walked. I, I got to assume it was probably close to a mile on the beach to where the sharks were being present. Mm -hmm. And then when we got there, it was dolphins. I was going to say, when you said it came out of the water, because sharks tend to not do that. Well, it, it was like a little rise out of the water. It wasn't like the big dolphin. I was looking for the dolphin, right, right. you know, jump out, and that didn't happen. So I was like, it's a shark. Uh, but then it ended up being a dolphin, and it was pretty anticlimactic of a event. But it was fun. We had a good time. Me? Dolphins are awesome. I was like, sweet. I saw a dolphin. Ah, dolphins are a dime a dozen. Seeing a shark coming to shore, we were like, this is Jaws. Like, this is going to happen. We're going to be a part of the movie. That was honestly what I was expecting you to say when you got going on it. We were just like, oh, man. So there's a shark in the water, and we're walking at the very tip of the water, and we were very frightened for the shark. <laughs> gonna get... <laughs> I really thought that that's uh, where it was going. But okay, cool. Thanks for building that up and then dropping yeah, into nothing. Yeah, it was, it was nothing. But it was a fun time. We had a great time down in San Diego, and that was like the highlight of the the whole trip. Was like yeah. the I the felt like shark. I felt like Bigfoot hunters, you know, like oh, I heard a noise. There's this, and at the end of it, there's always nothing. There's no picture. There's no video. It was like it was anticlimactic. Take a picture, and it's a perfectly clear picture of mm -hmm. what looks like a Bigfoot, and you go, "That can't be Bigfoot because it's not a fuzzy." Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's not all blurry looking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right, let's get into Habakkuk Part Two. Yes, we are here. Yeah. I'm here for it. All right. My special guest, Murdoch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Habakkuk. <laughs> I was going to do a dumb joke about uh, what's Habakkuk cooking. And that face you just gave me is why I wasn't going to do it. 
They're, they're getting worse. They are. Oh, wait till we get to... Uh, May whom? 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 Have a cook cooking? Wait till we get to Philemon. Is it like a Pokemon joke? No, it's it's worse uh, than that. Okay. But you'll have to wait. Everyone will have to wait till we get to that episode. Uh, but Habakkuk, uh, let me read chapter one, verse one through four. What? Nothing. I'm going to keep that one to myself. All right. <laughs> yeah. uh, the prophecy of Habakkuk, the prophet received. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen, or cry to you, violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me, and there is strife and conflict abound. Therefore, the law is paralyzed, and, and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous, so that justice is perverted. And that's how you start off a book. Yeah, I feel like I've caught in notes of the book that you want to write through our text messages, and some of it sounds like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's your, your first draft of the yeah. first chapter, yeah. But uh, again, I said it in the last episode, is that I can really hear people saying this today. Mm -hmm. And what's weird is I can hear people from just about every continent <laughs> and country kind of saying this, because it's a, it's a common thing, at least in 2022, that we're just yeah. seeing so much injustice, we're seeing so much violence, we're seeing so many things that even people who, in a largely, quote unquote, atheistic world, are seeing, this isn't right. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I guess who do they cry out to? We have Habakkuk crying out to God. Who do atheists cry out to? To the internet, Twitter. <laughs> I don't know what I was expecting for an answer, but that was actually pretty good. Yeah, I mean that's where all where I see it at. Uh, I wrote in my Bible. <laughs> that's just such a. Like, you're not wrong, and that's also just kind of sad. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was going to follow it up with. It is really sad. At least I feel like from our perspective of having God, we have someone to at least do what Habakkuk does. Like, it's, in my Bible, categorized as Habakkuk's complaint. Like, that's what he yep. gets to do, is he gets to complain to God. And we've talked about David in the Psalms that does the same thing in the real. Uh, that's what I have written down in my Bible. These are real questions. This isn't a philosophical question or... Uh, yeah, questioning for the sake of questioning. Yeah, yeah, this is real. I am looking at stuff happening that I just don't understand. Like, where are you at? I mean, the real question or his questions can all be summed up in is, is God really good if the world is so unjust? Yeah, that's a good summation. And, and that's what he's looking at. I mean, there's injustice, there's evil, there's tragedy, and it's all around him. So he starts off his book with, where are you? Um, why do I have to look at this? Uh, Ronald Nash, he wrote uh, Life's Ultimate Question, points out that every philosopher believes that the most serious challenge to God was and is and will continue to be the problem of evil. Because like you said, this is, this is a question that everyone goes through. When life gets hard, how can you still be a loving and just God and allow this to happen? It's also an interesting thing here at least within these first few verses is that so these this violence and this injustice and the iniquity and the wickedness and and all this is happening right and all that all that's happening and all that's bad obviously but he starts off how long lord must i call for help mm -hmm. but you don't hear i'm going to fill in me or cry out to you violence but you do not save and uh verse three why do you make me see iniquity right? Destruction and violence are before me. 
And so much of it is centering around Habakkuk. Yeah. And just like, oh man, look at what Habakkuk has to see and witness and all the things going on. And like, yeah, if he's part of the society, some of it's going to be affecting on some level, but you don't really get a heart of compassion here to where it's like, man, this stuff is happening. If I'm going to cry out to God, let me cry out for like on their behalf mm-hmm. or, you know, for some level of protection or for something. It's just like, and I get it, that personal thing that can happen. I'm seeing these things and I'm crying out to God and why am I not getting an answer for the things that I think that I should be getting an answer for? And it's like, is that even the right question to be asking? Yeah. Like if you're going to, like he obviously acknowledges that God is real and he's coming to him and he's a prophet. And as we talked about last time, pro- maybe like a temple prophet and like everything else that's involved there. And it's like, so here you come and you're approaching God about all this wicked and evil in the world. And you're just going to say, I've been trying to tell you about this for a long time. You're not giving me an answer. <laughs> I think it's a good way to even uh, start off the podcast is pointing that out because we're going to see after God responds and then Habakkuk complains again. And after God responds, uh, the turn from that, mm-hmm. that he does start off very like me oriented, me of what I have to look at, what am I going through? And I think we we could all get caught up in that when we see so much. It's like, what about me? What's going on here that I have to gaze upon this? I, I saw um, it was like a one of those national poll things. And it said the most common response to the question asked, if you could ask God one question and you knew he would answer you, what would you ask? And the question usually is, why is there pain and suffering in the world? It seems to be the most common question that people ask and they want to have an answer to. Um, An 18th century Scottish philosopher asked, is God willing to prevent evil but not able then he is impotent. Mm-hmm. Is God able to, but not willing? Then he is malevolent. Is he both able and willing? Why then is there evil? And what I love about this is that the Bible doesn't avoid the question, mm-hmm. right? It's, most religious books don't have a Habakkuk in it. Most sacred writings don't have this. Yeah, the Bible makes a really bad book for people who want to make a case for why their thing is the best thing. Right, like, it really Over does. and over, you get into the Gospels, you get into different writings, and just like all of the things that would build the strongest case, the Bible is just like, nah, here it is. It's real ugly. Yeah. <laughs> like, in terms of what people would be expecting, like, it's real ugly, it's real sloppy, but it's real. Mm-hmm. Your heroes make tons of mistakes. Mm-hmm. I mean, for the most part, you really can't call a good chunk of them heroes once you really look at what they've done in their lives. Um, I mean... In terms of if you want to make a hero into the perfect person, blah, right. blah, 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 blah. But I think if you look at, is there anybody in there that despite flaws kept seeking and did some good things and, you know, stood up for? I think there's some of them. Right. But it's like despite <laughs> yeah. the flaws. Yeah. And it's if you're writing a book, your hero looks like a hero. You know, the, the one thing that they've always presented as Superman was, was the he never did X, Y, and Z, right? He was the good guy. Through and through, he wouldn't do the compromising that a Batman would do or something like that. He was the good guy. But yeah, the, the heroes are presented that way. They're, they're presented as almost, in a sense, perfect. And the Bible says, nah, we're going to expose the reality of what these people are, that they're flawed and they make mistakes. Right. And I think that coming back to Habakkuk, he's not even being presented as a hero. Like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He's a guy with questions. They're granted a prophet. So, you know, th- there's that weight behind it. But it's not like, man, Habakkuk, the great warrior doing the thing and all the righteous acts. Like, we know nothing about him other than he complains a couple times and listens to what God has to say. Yeah. 
You know what I mean? It's like, oh, that's what it takes for a guy to be in the Bible. Right. Yeah. yeah. But going back to where you started is just to be able to complain and that's real and it's in there. And that the fact that it's even in the Bible, like the Bible doesn't shy away from it. Bible doesn't shy away from questions, doesn't shy away from hard circumstances, doesn't shy away from any of that. One of the things that I looked at, I, I highlighted through that one through four, is after you get through the questions, he says, destruction and violence are before me. There's strife and conflict. And then what really stood out to me was, therefore, the law is paralyzed. Yeah. And, uh, you know, paralyzing in, in some ways that I've looked at it, meaning growing numb, so that the law is basically uh, not effective. I, I read somewhere that the same reference is used for uh, Jacob when they tell him that Joseph is still alive. It says that uh, he was stunned, that he couldn't believe them, hmm. like he, it went numb. So, like, here it's just basically the law is being rendered powerless and ineffective, or basically God's word is neglected. Which is what that David Hume quote was like, then you're just impotent. Yeah. Right? If you're impotent, paralyzed, like, it, it's not working the way it should. And so I, it stood out to me, and I, and I really thought about it when I looked at it. If I'm like, okay, I'm looking at this more from a lens of application old to me. Uh, when there's destruction, violence, strife, and conflict, then the one thing you got to notice is that the law, God's word, isn't in people's hearts like it should be. Because when it is... You don't see that stuff. You know, you see the change. You see love. You see grace. You see mercy. Instead of strife, you see reconciliation or people trying to come together and resolve an issue. Um, but to see it and put, seeing it put that way, that it's been rendered powerless. And then we go back to what everything that was happening during Habakkuk's time frame. Well, you had a king who found the law and everyone was like, this is great. We mm -hmm. even had Passover. And then that king went out and got killed in battle. And then the kings after that were just like, nah, forget this. Even some of them burning up God's word. Mm -hmm. So yeah, the, to the people, the word had become powerless because it wasn't being presented in their lives. Yeah. And just when you bring it into what he had seen in his time, there's so many different ways of looking at it, right? Because you're looking at, well, where were the Jews at? But then you're looking at where were the Assyrians at? Mm -hmm. And then you've got, again, that battle that happened where he got killed. That was some Egyptian involvement. And so you're just looking at all of the power players of the day. And it's just like, yeah, where's the righteousness at? Mm -hmm. But even in that look, and again, when I'm looking at it for today, um, you're saying that God's law is effective and is powerful. So if God's law is not at play, then yeah, things are mm -hmm. going to be dead in a sense and, and not powerful. That's where I can kind of look where people, religious or not religious, look at so much in politics and look at like, well, the answer's got to come through there. We've got to reform this or we've got to put something in here and put something in here. And it's like, that doesn't correct God's law not being in people's hearts. Right. You, you know yeah. what I mean? And it's just like, okay, whether you're on the left, whether you're on the right, whether you're in the middle, whether you're none of it, and you're just like trying to work it through American law, if you live in wherever those countries are that you listed off last time that we have some listeners, and you're looking at your own, you know, government over there, and you're just like, well, we need reform. And it's like, definitely. Governments can make things better or worse through what they put into play and what they decide to enact. But the real justice that we're looking for is going to come through God's law. So, he's, yeah, he's approaching the right person with these questions. When I looked at it across the board, I felt like this is probably the most relatable book uh, for people across time and history. Uh, like you said at the beginning, this, this book, you could put it, you could put these questions in any time frame and they apply. Like, it's not like we, we said uh, 2022 after going through 2020 to what we've gone through now that, yeah, these seem like they could pop out. But we could throw these into, like, 1982 or 1960-something, 
or 15 something. And this book still is just relatable to people. I think it's the question that we find ourselves all the time. The thing that we wrestle with the most is trying to understand the presence of evil, suffering and pain in the world, and then God being there. So God being there and Habakkuk gets a pretty immediate response, at least in what's written down here. And he says, look at the nations and observe, be utterly astounded. So it's like, yeah, open your eyes, look around you. I'm doing a work in your days that you would never believe even if someone told you. So where am I at? I've been doing something. Open your eyes. Even if you knew you wouldn't be able to like know. So let me tell you something about it. I'm raising up the Chaldeans, that ruthless and impetuous nation, which marches through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own, and goes on to explain them in many different ways, basically saying, those very, very bad people <laughs> that you thought the Assyrians mm-hmm. are bad, and you've heard the rumors and you've seen the stuff, you know those Chaldeans? I'm raising them up. That's what I'm doing. Yeah, the fun part of this book, right? It's like uh, God's answer. I'm aware of all the corruption, like we talked about last episode. I know what's going on, uh, but I have a plan, and it's going to shock you. It's the Babylonians. And I took a really good notice this time around reading it at the first beginning thing of look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed, uh, for I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if I told you. And then he says, I'm raising the Babylonians. And then eventually when we get to Habakkuk's second response, it's, but why them? Like he didn't even believe when he told him. And God was like, I'm going to tell you something you're not going to believe. But the look and watch, and, and I think God reminds Habakkuk, like you said, we opened it up with, it's a lot of me. It's a lot of inner reflecting on what's happening outwardly in the circumstances that he sees in the world around him. Um, but God reminds him, to shift his question from the evil surrounding him and instead focus on the ways of God, to look at God, look and watch, look at what I'm doing. It may not be what you want, but God has a plan even when we can't see it sometimes. And sometimes God's plans are far beyond what we could imagine. Right, because you think being in Habakkuk's shoes, which I have been, and I imagine many people have been, I don't know if you have been, because we're talking about, oh, anybody could do it. But have you asked these questions that Habakkuk's ask, asking? Yeah. Yeah. So you think that like the answer that you're hoping for is, don't worry, man. I know the plans I have for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're good plans to prosper you. And I'm going to raise you up and like, right. And just like, that's the answer we want from God. All of these promises and the blessings. And man, we are a persecuted people and like God's on our side. So you took us up out of Egypt. We're, we're proclaiming the promises. Do it again, God. And God's response is, yep, here comes round two. Yeah. <laughs> you should have listened to Jeremiah. <laughs> <laughs> Both you kings should have listened to Jeremiah. Right? Yeah. So, again, you're having people ask questions, and it's just like, God hasn't been silent this whole time. Mm-hmm. So it's like, how long must we cry out? And I almost feel like God could almost say the same thing. Like, how long has my guy been crying out? Mm-hmm. Anyways. Yeah, how long have you not been listening? Yeah. It's one of the things that bothers me the most about being a parent. Um, and, I, and I've said this before on the show and many times, it's the, why won't you just listen to me when I'm talking to the kids about like something that uh, they want or just something I know that may put them in danger. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, why won't you just listen to me? And then I hear God say the same thing. Like, why won't you just listen to me? Why are you putting yourself in that danger? Why are you getting that close to that thing that you know you could slip on? And then you're going to slip on it and be like, God, why is there so much injustice and why is this happening to me type thing? Uh, but yeah, like God has been communicating with them. Uh, and, and even here, I feel like Habakkuk gets more of an answer from God 
about what's going on in his life than sometimes some of us do. And I just thought about Job, right? That Job went through. I've been thinking Job several times. So yeah. yeah. He went through everything. Even though God answered him, it was never the answer he was actually looking for. It was, do you know who I am? Do you know when I did this? Do you know when this happened? Um, and it shifted. It almost did the same thing that's eventually going to happen to Habakkuk is that it shifted his view from what was happening to who God is. Yeah. And I think that we all need that shift in our view because with where we start and with a largely material secular view with just what we're surrounded by and then just a largely selfish view just with, you know, struggling against the flesh and everything. And there is so much that is the inward that we're not looking beyond to other people. And it takes a while to even start scratching at what is the mind of God and his plans and to get beyond the very narrow focus of understanding and experience that we have. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because in me, in my life, (laughs) like, well, I've known me for all 33 years and I've been there for all of it. And like, that's the sum total of everything that I have. And when I look at whatever information I've been able to take in, it's like, well, to me, that's the summation of everything that I know about what's going on in the world. And just like, I know nothing. Mm-hmm. But to get reminded that I know nothing, it, it, it takes some reminding that I know nothing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So when I'm coming from my perspective of with everything I know, let me make these questions because things aren't making sense or I think it should be a way. And it's just like, well, if you know nothing and you think it should be a way, should it really be that way? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like. I don't know, whenever I go to a doctor or a mechanic or anything, I'm generally like, can I trust this person to be doing whatever work because these are meaningful things that are being worked on and it will cost money or cost my life or cost whatever. So I don't want somebody that knows nothing making the decisions for how this should go. I was like, yeah, let's take a big concept like justice in the world and what righteousness is and everything else. It's like, I'm going to, I think we need more of God's perspective. Yeah, definitely. I like the second response then from Habakkuk is like, why them, right? Do you not know who they are? Like, uh, (laughs) Are you not from everlasting, oh Lord my God, my holy one? (laughs) Yeah, Uh, and then he's like, uh, Lord, uh, uh, you've appointed them to execute judgment on us. Like, uh, they're worse than we are. And then he actually lists a a few things. He says, um, uh, the wicked foe pulls all of them up with their hooks. He catches them in his dragnets. Uh, he gathers them up in his dragnets. So he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his nets and burns incense to his dragnets. For by his net, he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest food. Is he to keep an empty net, destroying nations without mercy? And it's like, do you not see that this is what they are? Like he kind of gives uh, a few things uh, that they're treacherous, they're wicked. And that they're just worse than us. So it's like, why would you use them? They're worse than us. And I feel like we do this all the time. We question God and we pray for something and then he answers us and we don't like the answer. And when we don't like the answer, we start to complain about the answer. And and I said it last week that um, God was using the Babylonians for a time to cause his people to repent Mm -hmm. for the way they were living. Like, yes, there were some righteous people in Israel or in Judah at the time and in Israel, but Israel had already been taken care of by the Assyrians. There were some righteous in in Judah, but there were still so many more that God was going after, that he wanted to pull their hearts back to them, he want, or to him. He wanted to call them back into the fold and say, like, 
you need to come back into my life. And ultimately, if you go back to even the purpose of that, is because Israel, Judah, was supposed to be a light to the other yeah. nations. So it's just like when the light that's supposed to be to the other nations goes dark, then the only light that was there has went dark, and all that there is is the darkness. So it's just like God, through the remnant, through the repentance, through whatever, is trying to rekindle that fire and bring light to the Assyrians and the Babylonians and the Egyptians. Like, that's their purpose here on the world. I feel like for a lot of us, too, the the thing that we struggle with the most is the idea that we have to go through the Babylonians, Mm -hmm. that we have to suffer. Like, it's not a fun thing. It's not something that anyone really wants to do. But uh, I feel like for most of us, the greatest lessons we've learned have come through moments of suffering. Like, it doesn't really come through moments of everything's rolling good. And there's a really reality-defining thing in what you just said. is because when you're a person and you're looking at the world and you're looking at, hey, I have the freedom of choice as far as what I'm going to pursue, what I'm going to believe, and what I'm going to go after, you know, to an extent before you die and you're before God and then (laughs) all is made known, right? But, like, while you're here... And you're looking and all of us have this option of like, I'm here. Do I pursue the path of least resistance, Mm -hmm. avoid to the utmost any type of suffering? Everything should be happy, cheerful, joyful, and everything that comes with that. Just absolutely bar ourselves from any kind of suffering personally and even from observing it. And just, man, what a fantastic ride this is all the way to the end, right? And refuse to accept that suffering is part. Or do you submit to Mm -hmm. the reality that suffering is part? And I'm saying submit to the reality because here we've got Habakkuk bringing up the Babylonians. But if you're really going to come in as a Christian and you have Jesus himself saying, follow me, and they're going to persecute you just like they persecute me, just like they persecute the prophets that came before, and there's going to be suffering, there's going to be hardship, and that comes with the path that you're supposed to follow in this life, right? And the submission, how you said, like, we don't like the answer sometimes, because a lot of times we're praying for the best. And honestly, I get it. And when it's God's will for it to not be suffering, not be whatever, and there's healing, there's everything. Praise God. <laughs> like, I don't think this life is supposed to be, there's only suffering, and everything mm-hmm. sucks, and then you die. But you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm not trying to say, like, oh, everything is horrible, because even Paul says, there's going to be people come and say that, oh, it's all about to be like asceticism and denying yourself and like it sounds right that sounds really spiritual but like that's not the right path you know it's it's down the middle of like you do the right thing and be joyful in doing the right thing but submit to the reality that god is will have you go through hardships and i think that when we pray if we are so much dependent on god's answer being our answer then are we praying because we want to submit to his answer yeah I read this. It really sums up what you just said. Uh, Oswald Chambers. Good guy. Yeah. To choose to suffer means that there is something wrong. To choose God's will, even if it means suffering, is a very different thing. No healthy saint ever chooses suffering. He chooses God's will. There you go. As Jesus did, whether it means suffering or not. And and I just really enjoyed that. Like that's exactly what you're saying. If we, if, when we choose, of course, Oswald said yeah. it much better yeah. than I would. You could have <laughs> just stopped me, like, "Hey, I think I have a quote that's uh, really going to no, eloquently it, say what you're saying." The quote, just like a sandwich, you know, you you brought in all the other stuff, and the quote just puts it's the buns. It brought it all together, but <laughs> it, it it does. It summed up everything perfectly. That 
we don't like the answer because we we don't want to submit to God's will. Then when we look at it, uh, there's no such thing as endurance, bravery, uh, sacrifice, or courage without suffering, without pain, without going through some stuff. I like this uh, Mark Clark in his Problem of God on his chapter on evil and suffering. He I wrote, heard that guy on a really good podcast. Yeah, a long time ago. He was a really good guest. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, but he said, the real reason we struggle with the concept of purposeful suffering today in the Western world is because we see the point in purpose of life as happiness. So mm-hmm. he, he just says that like basically that uh, we want to be happy, uh, which isn't a bad thing, but we misunderstand words like blessed and prosperity, and we think that those things will give us happiness. It's like, uh, if I have this, I'll be happy. If I have that, or when I have that, I'll be happy. You know, the new car, the big house, vacation, uh, lose 15 pounds, more money, whatever it is in life. But those things don't bring lasting happiness. They just bring this temporary thing. But what he's saying is that we would rather be, I guess, for me, the way I sum it up is content Mm -hmm. or comfortable. We would rather be comfortable than suffering. And that's the real problem. And the real understanding is that what Judah is about to go through was purposeful. It had a purpose behind it. And it may not seem like we understand that, but it had a purpose. For them, at least they could see what the purpose is. But there are so many of us that go through things, and we still, we are Job. I don't know why. All I know is God got me through the other side. I think personally for myself, uh, when I focus on uh, this, if God is good, why did this happen? Is when I lost my younger cousin. And I couldn't understand that. That, that was the hardest thing. I even felt like God say we were going to make it to the other side. I, this, I remember the story of Jesus telling the disciples that, get on the boat, we're going to get through the other side. They went through a storm, but they got through the other side, and it just couldn't comprehend in my head when he passed why to this day I I really don't have a firm answer on it but what I did understand was that God got me through to the other side of that that I came out better that he did a using that pain in my life he did a deep work in me that got me to where I'm at today I obviously asked God if you needed my attention how come you didn't do it another way and uh Ultimately, I always hear, I did. You just weren't listening. I tried. This is what finally got your attention. Um, And that's a tough pill to swallow. Like someone's death meant my life change. And it's hard to really wrap around the concept of that. But I think when ultimately your focus is, all right, God, I will give in to you uh, no matter what goes on, no matter what life may bring. I'm just going to do your will and follow after you you kind of set aside those things and say, okay, that happened. Let's move forward. For me, I use it now as a way that I can help other people who go through grief and suffering and loss. And I look at it, if that's what this moment in my life allows me to do, then yeah, I'll go through it again. So you're sharing on a personal level, somebody that you know, and I know, I mean, I've lost people. I'm sure people listening have lost people. And just the realities of death, right? Mm-hmm. And when we're looking at something like Habakkuk and you're looking at the Assyrians and you're looking at the Babylonians, it's like, it's death, it's yeah. suffering. And you're looking at, again, the perspective. Things can seem so evil and so wrong. And well, how can God be good if my cousin died? Because death is the worst thing that could possibly happen. And how could God be good if this army's coming in and these people are dying, right? And we put the ultimate measure of goodness on 
well, people shouldn't die if God is good. Mm -hmm. But it's like, do we have the perspective of what death is? Because if we put death as like, well, if anybody ever dies, then God can't be good because death is the worst thing that I could possibly imagine. And it's just like, well, what we learn through scripture is like, death of the body isn't the worst thing that can happen to somebody. And when you're looking at making it to the other side, right now, Paul made it to the other side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he is good. And when you're looking at the purpose of the things, just like, why do we even have this life right here, right now to begin with? It's to give glory to God. Mm -hmm. And you know, it's just like through the sufferings and through the good times, are we giving glory to God? That even when we get to the point of death and being able to make it to the other side, it's just like Paul and countless others being in the presence of God is just such a testimony to the gospel that like, here is somebody that found faith, found the gospel, repented, came into the family, and like, is there with God. And forevermore, God can say, look at Paul, or look at this person, or go back to Habakkuk's time, look at the faithful, and say, like, look at my grace, my goodness, right? Mm -hmm. And we can look at, but death is the worst thing, and God's like, but my salvation goes beyond death. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's not to minimize pain and suffering and death here, because I... (laughs) I don't want to get hurt and I don't want to suffer when it comes to dying. But I need to, as we're seeing here, have the perspective shift to like, I'm going to die and it will suck for people. But scripture says that we don't need to mourn like the world mourns because we know that the physical death is like, well, the promise that Jesus gives is eternal life. The one that pleases me will keep on living. Yeah. Philip Keller in his book, um, A Shepherd's Guide to Psalms 23. It's an amazing book. Yeah. You've quoted it a few times since you've gotten in there. It breaks down a... Uh, even though I go through the valley of the shadow of death, uh, that little section. Mm-hmm. And it, it, the way he talks about it is that uh, f- in order for you to get to the mountaintop where it's good, uh, every shepherd knows he needs to take his sheep down through the valley where it's dangerous, where a storm could come and kill everyone or a flood could come and wipe them all out. And so it's a dangerous place to be in. And when he got into that, he shared a personal story about his wife getting cancer. And ultimately, it wasn't uh, curable, and mm-hmm. they both knew it. Uh, but he said, because I had understood this verse that, you know, even though I go through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no, fear no evil. Um, he said, it was that verse that comforted me the most and her that we knew, like you were saying, this wasn't the end. You know, she was going on to glory with God. And that is what allowed him to go through the pain mm-hmm. and journey through it. So I, I really believe it is. Yeah, we got to start changing our perspective. And this is what God's doing with this book. It's like, I want to complain and tell you all my issues and everything that's wrong with me and, and everything that's wrong in the world. And God's like, you're focusing on the wrong thing. Uh, I, read th- I heard this actually the other day at our board meeting, and I thought it was just so in line with this second complaint of Habakkuk. Um, it was the story of a man who slipped off the edge of a cliff, and he was desperately hanging on to a rope uh, to keep from falling. And so the man screamed at the top of the lungs, is anyone there to help me? And a calm, reassuring voice said, it's the Lord, let go of the rope. And the man thought about it for a moment, looked down to see how far he would fall. Then he yelled out again even louder, is there anyone else out there to help me? <laughs> so it's a funny little joke to like sum up what, what this is. It's, yeah. it's, it's what we do sometimes. God, I need your help, let go. Uh, someone else come and help me? Politics? Government? You know? Do you struggle with hearing God? 
Do you find yourself praying and not hearing back from God? Have you ever prayed and not liked God's answer? Then you need the Heavenly Hearing Aid. All you have to do is place the Heavenly Hearing Aid in your ear and tune the frequency for God to hear clear, simple answers to all your prayers. When you hear God's answer and maybe don't like it, switch it to rejoice mode and you will find yourself rejoicing to God no matter the circumstances. Feel free to offer up all your complaints to God knowing you will no longer struggle to hear God's voice again. Buy the Heavenly Hearing Aid today at all major retail stores. The Heavenly Hearing Aid helps you hear from heaven. I was just talking with a student about this last night, right? Because students going through a hard time and like daily waking up going through this hard time, right? But had sought God and had received one, a dream of like basically things being okay. And then woke up and was like, all right, that might've just been, you know, my hopeful imagination. Like, God, can you confirm that that was really you? Got a confirmation. And then it was like, all right, I'm still not too sure. Like, can you confirm? Got a second confirmation on the thing. And we talked about it before, but then we're talking about it again. And it's the thing of, like you said, uh, with hanging onto the rope. So you want the answer, can I let go? And if God gives you an answer, at that point, you need to move by faith. Mm -hmm. And so much of what we want in this world is certainty. And it's yeah. like, you can be certain that you can trust God. But man, the fact that you got a dream and two confirmations, it's like, I don't, I, the only thing you have left to do is either like not believe it and ignore it and deal with whatever that is or trust them for it and, and go. I don't know how that fully ties into Habakkuk necessarily, but more on the topic that we're talking about is, um, yeah, going through hard times and wanting certainty that things are going to be okay or certainty that things are going to be the thing that I want to see. And I think that part of that perspective changing reality too is that what if you don't see it in your lifetime? Yeah, it's a tough thing to get through. Uh, I, I really like this book. I really like this chapter, especially the second one. The first one is like, yeah, I've got those questions. The second one, I've been there. Uh, I look at someone and I'm like, they're worse than me. Why are you using them in that big way? I get into comparison, right? That's what Habakkuk does. They devour people. They worship what they accomplish. You know, they're worshiping their accomplishments. Mm -hmm. um, they live in luxury. Look at them. They're eating all the best foods. Uh, and that's the problem is that uh, we're looking at other people's accomplishments and not really focusing on God. And Habakkuk is unhappy about the evil. And then he's unhappy with God's plan. And uh, as Chris Brown, one of our church friends, uh, says a lot in his preaching, he says, and God said, print it. You know, like that's, that's the cool part about the Bible that mm -hmm. we talked about earlier. It's like all this stuff happens. It's real. It's raw. It's, it's from a heart that's really hurting. And God doesn't shy away from taking that out or not leaving it in. And he does it purposefully because I then can go and read this and be like, I've been there. I get that. I understand all of this. I understand that I'm crying out to God and then God answers. And I understand being in the point of, I didn't like that answer. Mm -hmm. Who else is up there? Um, what else can I depend on? Mm -hmm. um, and uh, like, I just love when he says that, Chris Brown, because he does it a lot. He's like, and God said, print it. There's a lot of things you'll see in scripture and you're like, why is that in there? But there's meaning behind it. Um, but yeah, that's, 
all I've got for that part. We need to come up with some catchphrases. <laughs> we do. <laughs> <laughs> um, just before we move away from chapter one, and this isn't really too much of a point of discussion other than that part that says, verse five, look at the nations deserve, be utterly sounded. I'm doing work in your days that you would never believe even if someone told you. That gets quoted in Acts chapter 13 and basically being said, therefore, let it be known to you, brothers, that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is being proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone believes is justified from everything you could not be justified from by the law of Moses. Watch out then that what was spoken by the prophets doesn't happen to you. And then quotes, look, you scoffers, wonder and perish for I'm doing a work in your days that you would never believe even if someone told you. So the incredulousness mm-hmm. that Habakkuk is, God's like, I'm going to tell you something's going to happen and it doesn't make sense how I'm doing this thing because it's not going to make sense. You wouldn't believe it if I told you like that. It gets repurposed mm-hmm. with Jesus that is just like, man, you just aren't going to believe this but here's the path towards salvation, right? So on the one hand, path towards making it through was Babylon coming and doing the thing, but especially for the Jewish people, like Jesus was a stumbling block. He wasn't the King Messiah coming and like tearing down the Romans and, you know, bringing the the Jews out of exile. But then to even go, you can be justified more than the law of Moses through what Jesus, like, it's just, what? how are you trying to tell me that this thing works? Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just an interesting way of scripture getting repurposed. Sometimes when we think of scripture getting quoted, it's just like, well, no, you need to go back to the original context and the original purpose and see. And it's like, um, I'm not quite sure how big of a parallel you want to draw between Jesus and Babylon. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the way I look at it, and we've talked about it as we go through the series is, again, here we're getting a day of the Lord, right? Mm-hmm. Uh the Babylonians coming in was the day of the Lord because the Israelites had corrupted themselves so bad that you couldn't tell the difference between God's people and every other nation. Sorry, did you say the American Christians? No, no, no. I said God, the Israelites. Oh, my <laughs> yeah. bad. My headphones are a little <laughs> tight on my ears. I didn't quite hear you. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, either or. Uh, the, but it had got so corrupted. Uh, actually, uh, speaking of that, um, let me find it real quick. And. For anybody that that offended, it, I know because I am one and was one and struggled through that. It's a thing of, uh, it hurt me first. I'm going to play this quick TikTok. So I'm going to hold it up to the microphone, hope it catches through. Uh, but it just a little portion of it is really good. And, and if I'll it t- sounds really bad, just edit it in afterwards. But at least I can hear it now. Thanks for that. And a lot of it comes down to this question. And it's a hard one. Do we know the difference between a lover and a prostitute? This is going to make a lot of folks angry, but this needs to be said. There's a saying that gets tossed around about church history by a dude named Sam Pasco. And for the most part, I agree with it. Christianity started in Palestine as a fellowship. It moved to Greece and became a philosophy. It moved to Italy and became an institution. It moved to Europe and became a culture. And it came to America and became a business. Super simplistic, I know, and I'd argue the business part started way before America, but it is in the U.S. that it was perfected with televangelism, prosperity gospel, and stuff like that. Now, before going further, it's important to draw a line. Christianity and Christ are not the same thing. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's Hebrews 13.8. Christianity is in the religion derived from Jesus Christ. Well, that changes all the time. And what is the church? It's not a building, but it's a collection of believers, a body of called out ones, otherwise called the bride. And what happens when a body is a business? Well, isn't that the definition of a prostitute? So, 
that part right there, uh, when you talked about, you know, did you say the American Christian Church? Uh, I really, uh, not to knock hard at it, but to hopefully say it with some conviction, if, if you're part of the church, is really look at it and say like, yeah, have we become so much of a corporation and a business? And I really love that point. What, it, what happens when a body is a business? That is the definition of a prostitute. Um, and again, within that, it's not, honestly, I have nothing against the American church. You know, if I think that American church is a weird signifier because we're Christ church. <laughs> so maybe the church in America, whatever, just like, no ill will. My only prayer and hope all of the time is for everybody. Like, or Paul is just like, man, I would give up my own salvation if my people could get saved. It's just like, yeah. Like, let's see everybody come to repentance and come to a real knowledge that all the stuff that we're seeing today and like that have that turn around is like, that's my, like, I don't take any joy in like, oh, let me mm-hmm. knock the church and like, let me find things that are wrong. It's just like, no, but I can point out something that's factually true. So like, don't get mad at me. Go read all of the polls yeah. about like people in the church live the same way outside the church and go. Mm-hmm. I just heard another thing. Um, I was at a training for Camp Agape and uh, PJ, the pastor there, he said, statistically, you are more likely to play baseball in high school and go on to play in the MLB. Statistically, it's more likely for that to happen than to go into an American church and the amount of people that have read the Bible from cover to cover. Wow, because that is a very difficult statistic. I, I know that statistic yeah. going up playing baseball. Yeah. I knew what the odds were. Uh, so Which is, a, again, yeah. but, and do and you it, need to read the Bible cover to cover to be saved? No. Is it going to be extremely helpful? Yes. Yes. But it, you know what I'm saying? And it, just, in a culture where we have it so available, yeah. it's there that the fact that we're choosing the opposite. So to bring that to the Habakkuk point, you said it earlier that God's law would have an effect. When we're looking mm-hmm. at the crazy things that are happening in our country— I think the solution is the gospel. I believe that the solution is God's law for people to follow God's law is the solution to all of it. Mm -hmm. Not God's law, set up a theocracy, and we need to have all that going on. But no, the Holy Spirit coming in and transforming each and every person to follow after him and to walk in the way of Jesus. Like To me, that's what it comes to. So when we're looking at what about all this unrighteous, just like Habakkuk. Like Again, I asked the question about America, like, What's up with this? Like, what's going on with all the unrighteousness? But the answer is God's law coming in. Yeah. But then I wonder, all right, God, are you going to send some Babylonians? I don't want that, man. Because we want comfort. Uh, But it is true because a lot of times we look at a lot of stuff that's happened and we want to celebrate when we feel like government or politics puts in what we would consider a Christian law. And it's like, again, that law isn't what's going to make a difference. It's God's law in the hearts and in the lives of people that's going to make a difference. The reason why the Babylonians came is because... As a judgment. As a judgment, was Israel was corrupt. And when we looked at the day of the Lord, we, we've kind of simplified it to a... It's a setting things right. Mm-hmm. It's a putting things back in place. And, and it doesn't look pretty when it happens. It never does. It's never even described as a, a pretty thing. So how can we get Habakkuk to then Acts, and it being quoted there as like Jesus being, because Jesus coming in was the day of the Lord. It was setting things right. It was making things right for us. So again, on the perspective thing, because you said getting the laws put in place and whatever, Roe versus Wade, that thing, getting whatever, it's like, 
not murdering babies all for it that's fantastic but when we take the view that we've talked about as far as like in eternity and before god and all the things it's just like cool now we have all of these babies that are going to grow up into people so the mission is are we bringing the gospel to them because mm-hmm. it's just like what's well let's save them from physical death but not save them from spiritual death the real death <laughs> like you know what i mean and it's just if we're we need to align our thoughts more clearly on things. I'm all for, like, yes, let's stop murder. But it's like, that's not the end game. And, and to me, looking at that topic in general, is that as a Christian, are we going to uh, celebratorily throw up the flag of victory and shame people that are going through this, who went through it, or the people who are on the other side? Are we just going to beat them with Bible verses of why they're wrong? Or are we going to pray that God changes their heart, mm-hmm. that God's going to go in and do something to to make them see him, not the subject, not the circumstance, not what's being even discussed. Uh, I, I feel like uh, for us as Christians, the important stance that we need to take in anything that is social is, does it line up with God's word? And then it's, how do I love that person on the other side? Right, right. Because at the end of the day, if we're not doing that, right. then we're proving them right. That we're a bunch of hypocrites, bigots, and hate monsters. So in that, even me saying like, yeah, I'm, I'm all for stopping the murder of children, right? Just even in the phraseology there. Because when we think murder, we think like crimes of passion and evil and wickedness and going out and like, I'm going to go like take this person down and, and there's that, right? Yeah. And I don't think that that's the mindset of any woman who's gotten to the point of having an abortion. Like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I don't know another word for like taking a human's l- life and just even the connotations in the... So as you're saying, like even how we talk about it to be loving in the way that we talk about it and just like, I'm all for not having children die and be killed. But I'm also, for all the things that you're saying, it's like I'm not trying to demonize anybody mm-hmm. for that fact and all this stuff. So, yeah. I've had this presented something like a couple of times uh, from people that like someone's come in and just wrecked havoc in their life. Mm-hmm. And I listened to the people as they kind of talked about the, this person. And one of the things I've done recently, because it's been something that God's checked in me it, a lot, has been, I get your hurt. I get what they did is wrong. Have you been praying for God to intervene in their life? so that they can become part of the body. Because right now they're in the darkness. And when you're in the darkness, all you see is darkness. Mm -hmm. And darkness looks good in the dark. And you you adjust to living in the darkness. And then when you step into the light, yeah, it hurts. It's blinding and it's like in your face. But then you adjust to the light. Mm -hmm. Are you praying for them to come into the light? Are you praying for people, for God to specifically send someone into their life that maybe the way you talk to them, the gospel isn't going in through? But the way they talk to them, it will. Um, because if you're not doing that, then are you loving your enemy? Uh, it's, it's, it's what we're commanded to do. And loving my enemy doesn't mean I march outside of a Capitol building with a picket sign. It, it means I sit. I could go to the Capitol building, but I'm going to sit there and say, how can I pray for you? How can I love you? And I think that would do more good in this world than what we've kind of been accomplishing so far. And I'm with you, and this is why I generally don't think politics is the answer for stuff, because if we, as the church, went out with the gospel, and people are being restored, and all the situation is happening, then when people are deciding not to have abortions or whatever's happening there, 
they're not mad at the church for it because they've come to the point of coming into the light, like you're mm-hmm. saying, and it's not some big battle that's going on because you're seeing for a person with a person and there's reconciliation, everything happening there. It's not literally the state, the organization with guns coming and telling you how to like live your life on a point. It's that inner transformation. So, yeah. Yeah. I hear you. Yeah. All right. Let's uh keep moving into Habakkuk. That was a really weird thing yeah. that popped up in this car. <laughs> I'm just going to trust that. God has a purpose. Yeah, to have two guys talking about abortion on... The Book of Habakkuk. The <laughs> Book of Habakkuk. All right, God. Uh, I'll, I'll go through some of this real quick. I want to go through this. You want to go through chapter... What chapter are we on? Two. Two. <laughs> Out of three. <laughs> <laughs> We're 50 minutes in. We're at chapter two. All right, All right, go for it. We can go quick. No, we can't. Um, I just wanted to start off. I think that it is somewhat hilarious the way that chapter two starts off. Because Habakkuk, after him saying all of that with the second complaint says all right i'm gonna stand guard at my post and station myself on the ramparts and i'm gonna watch to see what he says to me and how i should answer when corrected right Mm -hmm. so basically all right i told god i'm gonna sit and watch what he does and god's immediate answer is write down this vision and clearly inscribe it on tablets so that a herald may run with it it's like why did you go sit down and wait for me to do something I'm going to tell you something and this needs to go out and be put into action. Yeah. And it can just, it's such a thing where it's just like, all right, well, I told God, so I'm going to sit here and see what he does. And God's like, no, 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 I'm telling you <laughs> and do something with it. it. It always seems interesting that when uh, someone in, that God uses and becomes kind of frustrated with God through the process and they just kind of like, I'm going to sit here with my arms folded that God kind of puts them to work after that. Mm-hmm. Like Jonah just came to my mind and yep. he was like, tend to the vine. And Jonah's all like ticked off about everything that's happening. He's like, but like, what did you do to make this thing grow? You know, like he wants to get them out of that perspective. And I did like that, that it's like, it starts off, write this down and make it plain. And I never connected the dots of, it ended with, I'm going to be the watchman just watching up here on my post and looking at everything that's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah, I did like that. The next part is the, for the revelation awaits the appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. See, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous person will live by faith. Indeed, wine betrays him. He is arrogant and never at rest because he is greedy as the grave and like death is never satisfied. And then we get into the five woes that we touched on last week. But I want to hit more on that beginning part of looking at God knows who the Babylonians are. It's mm-hmm. like, why them? They're this, this, like, that's what we do. Why them? This, this, this. And God's like, I know. They're prideful. They're arrogant. They trust in their own might. And I'll deal with them later. Yeah. And the beauty of that verse, right, of just wait, just wait. And that's sometimes the hardest thing for, uh, you see it in all of the Bible. Waiting is difficult. You look at Abraham, who waited 25 years for the promise, Mm -hmm. but made four to five, six, seven mistakes in those 25 years that were pretty detrimental. Um. And God was just saying, just wait, just wait, it will come. All you have to do is wait. And yeah, God brings down the Babylonians, he does it. And I, I feel like he's just telling them that there's evil in every generation. All you have to do is trust my timing and my plan and, uh, and be faithful. And in this, you really get the look of like, cool, you've been looking at everyone else and their unrighteousness. And God's saying, I see that. I'm in control of that too, right? I'm using everything for a purpose. But he brings it to the righteous will live by faith. So like, okay, whatever they're doing, here's what you need to do. 
And in that righteous living by faith, like you said, you got to wait for it. And he says, surely in my translation in verse three says the vision awaits an appointed time. It testifies of the end and does not lie. God's saying, look, I know I'm working this thing out and I just need you to walk by faith. And that was the second part to go back to the, what I was talking with the student about and just kind of talk about, yeah, we want certainty, but when God's showing you something, you're walking by faith or like, you just got to hold on to what he's shown you is that regardless of whether that dream and those confirmations were truly from God or he had conjured that up in his mind, if he continues to just seek God and to submit to God, then what will happen at the end of that time is either he'll see that that dream was from God or he'll be at the place to see why that dream Mm -hmm. wasn't what he thought that it was. But it's in the pursuing of God by walking by faith, by living righteously, that's the only path forward, and it doesn't depend on any external circumstance. Well, are are the other people being judged? Why are you, why is God using this person to do this thing? What's this thing with this thing? And God just narrows it in. Look, I'm working. You got to trust me that I see the things. God reveals things, and sometimes we need to wait for it. But in the meantime, just keep walking. Uh, I really like the contrast, too, that he sets up there. The See, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright. But. Mm-hmm. The righteous will live by his faithfulness. And it's like the the enemy, the the people, the Babylonians, they are puffed up, they are proud, they're arrogant, and they just go after what they want and take it by any means necessary. Uh, but the flip side is that, is that the righteous person would just wait and live in faithfulness, that they would just trust in God. Like this becomes, like we talked about last week, Paul's thesis. This becomes his mission mm-hmm. statement is this verse right there, is that, the righteous will live by faith. This is what he defines the gospel, that you, if you're seeking righteous, purely seeking righteous, righteousness, not meaning you're perfect, not meaning you're uh, sinless, but you're seeking righteousness, and you live by faith, and it's there it is. It's yours, um, and it's there for you. And I really did enjoy that, that verse. It, it's just, I wish, I, that is my prayer, you know? Like, I want that to be more of my prayer in my life is that, or my war cry, the righteous will live by faith. In it, too, Habakkuk really gets put in place because he starts off with the first complaint, God, all this wickedness and all this whatever, like, what are you doing? You're not doing nothing. Everything's paralyzed. And then he gets to the second complaint, and he's like, why would you even use them? Like, that's not the way of doing it and whatever. And you just really get God saying, I'm God. I know what's going on. You're not in control of those things. Control what you can control. Mm-hmm. And for me, that's a really hard thing. Again, as I ask those questions and even working in ministry at a church and doing different things and wanting to help and wanting to see more progression. And like, you know, there's really, we can't control outcomes, right? I can't control any outcome. It doesn't matter how much I can pray for somebody. It doesn't matter how much I can try and give them the word. It doesn't matter how much counseling or whatever. It's just like all those things can help towards something and are part of my duty you know, before God and the position that he's put me in, right? It's like, I need to be doing those things. That's what's right for me to do. But I can't make where I'm at determined on where other people are at. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Whether it's a one-on-one counseling session with somebody here at the church or whether it's looking at what's going on on a national level here in the country. It's just like, all I can do is all I can do. Therefore, I should do all that I can do. And maybe you're in a position to where what you can do affects some of those things. But for the most part, it really minimizes things. It's just like, 
all of my prayers about everything else that's going on and judging God. Like, honestly, I can put myself in, I'm judging God for what mm-hmm. he's doing or why he's doing a thing, how he's doing. And it's just like, mm, that's not really your lane. Yeah. I, I really liked uh, looking at it from the perspective of that God uses the Babylonians, but just because he used them doesn't mean he endorses their actions. Oh, yeah. And, and you get that from this portion right there is that he's saying, I know who they are. Look at how bad they are. Look at how evil they are. I know who they are, but I'm going to use them for a time being. But it doesn't mean I endorse them. And I think that's where we get caught up with uh, because there's evil makes God evil. Uh, I think we kind of tie the two together. Uh, but here God is plainly saying that that's not the case. It's not that I, I endorse them at all. In fact, the five woes that we looked at last week, I mean, they're, read them yourselves. Like they're, they're brutal. And when you look at the word woe again, it's meaning death, like death to you who do these things. Like your ultimate, uh, if we were talking about earlier that when we die, that's salvation, that's eternity with Christ, that's the blessedness, right? Life with God forever. Uh, if the woe is death, then it's death completely. Mm-hmm. And that's a scary subject. Yeah. You know, I, that puts fear in my bones. Yeah, which to have that as a response, like, you're using them, and God's just like, well, yeah, I'm using them, but like, look at what comes of all of it mm-hmm. for them. Like, you have a concern of you because these are some bad guys moving in and, you know, there's going to be some stuff happening. But God gives hope. As you were talking about the, what was the word that you used for this book? Grace? Mm-hmm. Is that what you're talking about? And, like, the message to Habakkuk and for his people is like, hey, there's grace for you guys. These woes, is there's not grace for these. Mm-hmm. And, like, if you're really grasping at that contrast of, like, complaining about what God's doing, you should be able to look and be like, okay, I am having the chance to receive grace. I might not like what's happening for them, but like, it's not looking like grace is coming their way. And as Christians, at least now, knowing what's come through Christ and everything, that should affect us in a spot of us like, oh man, I really need to be praying for him now because like, how wicked am I if I want people <laughs> to experience, you know, the mm-hmm. spiritual death? So it's like, that that's even a barometer for where we're at. It's just yeah. like, we shouldn't want the destruction of anybody, even the wicked, so... We've kind of touched on that several times. I won't keep digging into it. All right, Habakkuk's prayer. Uh, I'm going to touch on just a few verses, and then I have some things, and I'll wrap up my end of it. I heard of your fame, and I stand in all of your deeds, Lord. And then there's another part of it that says, You came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. You crushed the leaders of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot. And then further down, Yes, I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nations invading us, right? I will wait patiently for that day. Uh, Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crops fail and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. And Habakkuk learned that God is just, faithful, and worthy to be praised. A.W. Pink says, uh, though Poor is the world's goods, uh, though grieving the loss of loved ones, though suffering, uh, suffering pain of body, though harassed by sin and Satan, though hated and persecuted by, worldly, uh, by the worldlings, whatever be the case in lot of the Christian, it is his privilege and duty to rejoice in the Lord. So this would be my sermon on the book of Habakkuk. Uh, five ways the righteous can live by faith. The first one is trust God even when you don't understand his ways. 
uh, because sometimes faith looks like a powerful conqueror and sometimes faith looks like a stubborn survivor. The second one is even when things are chaotic, remember God is still control. The third one is instead of working on your time frame, wait on God's perfect timing. Uh, it will take patience to see God's plan happen, but ultimately they will and he will prevail. Number four, keep your happiness in God, not circumstance. John Piper said, this is God's universal purpose for all Christian suffering. More contentment in God and less satisfaction in the world. And then number five, uh, know that God works all things out for good for those who love him. Um, our definition of God may not be God's definition. And that's kind of what Habakkuk teaches us. And the last thing I want to read is Timothy Keller says, just because we don't see the reason for evil and suffering doesn't mean there's not a reason for it. Mm -hmm. um, to me, this is a powerful book. And I feel like I keep saying that at the end of every one of the books we go through. Because they are. Because they really are. And I love that we are doing this Forgotten Books of the Bible series because I did not completely see how good some of these things are or the message that's behind them or even the tie-in from this book to Paul's whole missionary statement. You know, mm -hmm. it, it, there's just so much good into it. But it's also, like I said at the beginning, this is the most real book other than maybe the Psalms that you'll find in the Bible. Uh, this, is, this is real. This is a conversation with God, purely with God, that ends in the person having that conversation saying, I see you now. I see you beyond the circumstances. I see you beyond the situation coming. I'll wait patiently for the invading army. And even when things aren't happening the way I want them to, even when things aren't going my way, I'll still rejoice because I know who you are. That takes faith. Man, you just said so many things. <laughs> and really with my brain, I'm just like, all right, he said that thing. Keep cycling that one. Oh, he said another thing. Keep cycling that one. Like even going back to, you started all that with that A.W. Pink quote. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then went through those five yeah. points. It's like, man, that was good. Um, kind of two things coming from it. I'm trying to think which one to go through first. I'll go to the end and then I'll go to the rest. Um, that end part, verses 17, 18, 19. Though the fig tree doesn't bud, no fruits on the vines, no olive crop fails, fields produce no food, right? Sheep are cut off. That is an image of like anti-shalom. Shalom is when there is the abundance, mm -hmm. like economically and food and everything else, and there's peace in the land and everything. And really where this is ending, and even the verse before where I started in verse 16, how we're saying, I heard and trembled within, my lips quivered at the sound, decay entered my bones, I trembled where I stood, yet I must wait patiently for the day of distress to come upon the people who invade us. So he's saying like, man, they're coming, there's nothing I can do, God's assuring me that there's going to be an end to it, and the end of them is, it's an end, it's going to be the woes, it's the day of the Lord, like, like you were saying. So he's at this part of just like, I got to go through the bad thing. Mm -hmm. Like, I didn't get the answer I was hoping for, but I'm going to submit to what God's saying. So even in the realization, I got to go through the bad thing. And going through the bad thing is like, I'm going to go through a time without peace, without shalom. And like, that was a huge thing in the Old Testament is like God's peace to have shalom on you, right? Then all of the blessings that come from following the law. And it's like, when you don't follow the law, all the cursings that come upon. And just with where Habakkuk is at the end of that going like, all right, it is what it is, mm -hmm. and I'm going to trust God. And then in that trusting to say, I'm going to exalt the Lord. I'm going to rejoice in the God of my salvation because he's believing God. Like, all right, it's going to be rough, 
but I believe it. So I'm going to be happy about that fact. Like, I'm not forgotten. I started off by saying, God, where are you? All right, my God is still the God of salvation. I was wondering, where's your justice? He let me know justice is coming. Might not have been in the way that I was wanting it, but it's coming. And the contentment in God that you talked about is one of those points. It's the secret that Paul talked about, right? He said, I learned this secret in life, or I learned this in life, and it's about contentment. It doesn't come easily. It doesn't come naturally, but it is the thing to learn to be content with God, and it allows us to submit to God because it's like, all right, whatever God's doing, I'm going to be content in that, whether I have a lot or a little or whatever that looks like, going through shipwrecks and everything else that Paul went through or going through this invasion that Habakkuk's going through. It's like, all right. I can trust God through this and I can even rejoice in it because I'm trusting that God didn't change. And even though I don't understand his ways, I can trust that he has his ways. And all of this isn't my initial thoughts that like, well, God must have died or something because <laughs> where is this justice? Mm-hmm. You know, the, all those things get answered. So just where he where he ends up through that is the good news is God is still God and he is working those things but got to go through it. And just the the acceptance that I see in Habakkuk is such a model for life, yeah. for going through stuff. Um, so that's the second thing. What was the second thing I was going to say? No idea. Should have started with the first thing. Should have started. But what I liked about that was uh, what, what I caught on when you were talking about it is like I was thinking about the beginning of the book, and the beginning of the book is like there's injustice, there's corruption, there's violence, there's strife, and your word has gone numb. Uh, what's happening, God, right? And, and the end of the book doesn't end with a better solution. And in fact, it ends like, yeah, that's bad. It's going to get worse. Well, it, it, God kind of goes, I hear you, and I'm doing a thing. You just weren't aware of it. Yeah. <laughs> so and, I'm cluing you in. And now I'll let you know, and it's going to get worse. And like it even, that part that you read, and I really like that part, the, the fig trees and everything, like uh, you're going to even go without. There's going to be times where you're going to go without during all this. But the the perspective change that you talked about at the beginning, where Habakkuk was me, 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 look at what I have to endure, look what I have to suffer, now goes to, yet I will rejoice mm-hmm. because of who you are, uh, because of all the things you've done, all the things that you're going to do, and I see now. I don't see a difference in my circumstances. I don't see a difference in the situation. I, I mean, how applicable is, though the fig tree does not bud or the vines doesn't have this, the cattle aren't in the, the pens in 2022 where they're talking about food shortages, where we just had baby formula uh, shortages, where there's a lot of like, you may not have these things. Mm-hmm. And the world panics. The world gets afraid. The world stockpiles. Uh, the Christian says, I will rejoice in the Lord. And man, it's such a beautiful book that he turns it into this. Um, did you find it, figure out what your other point was? Yeah. All right, go for it. It's just what we were talking about last time with Habakkuk 3 is is the theophany of God Mm -hmm. as the divine warrior. And to just really bring that in as a main point is that everything that God talked about as his responses, as far as bringing the Babylonians and, and things like that, right, is that's what Habakkuk was seeing in the physical realm, what was happening with the nations and whatnot happening. But God is a divine warrior again, there's the spiritual realm, there are these other beings that are trying to enact wickedness and all these things, and God going to battle against them, and that God's victorious against them because they can't hold a candle to God, right? And it's just like, he's all powerful, and he comes in, and he's victorious. Now, 
what us as humans go through is just like, are we keeping the faith or not? You, you know, like a lot depends on that. But as far as God's concerned, like he'll keep his promises all day and he'll come in and he'll make miracles happen and people repent. Cool. I'll bring back my wrath and, you know, I will show mercy and God is good and he's a good God and he's a just God and all those things. And there's a lot that depends on us throughout all that. But just to know that God is the divine warrior who has all of the power and that whatever we're facing in life, to know that there's the spiritual realities behind it, it's like, cool, right now we're going through the whole America, Russia, Ukraine, BRICS nations and all of this stuff. It's like, do you want to freak out about that because all that you can see is the political sphere? Or do you want to see that there's a spiritual realm and that... God is a divine warrior, and when God goes to war, he wins the war. He wins all the time. He wins every time, right? So it's just like, where do you want to place your confidence in trying to figure out the national political thing or be able to hear like Habakkuk didn't just like, oh, you're the divine warrior, so that's how you're going to do this thing? All right, I'll wait for it, and I'm going to rejoice in it because I know what you can do. And I think, again, even how you're talking about, cool, you don't need to... Well, it might be smart to stockpile some stuff <laughs> if you're in need, right? But, um, you Enjoy know, your own food. Yeah, there you go. We don't need to freak out about yeah. it. It's the same thing on this scale is just trust God. Yeah. I'm going to say one last thing and then uh, we'll wrap up the show. I don't have uh, full backing on what I'm about to present. On heresy it. button. Heresy, heresy button. button. Heresy <laughs> alert. Um, the part where it says you came out and delivered your people to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader's land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot. For some reason, all I could think of was Nebuchadnezzar's dream of the empires. He was the head, and then at the bottom you had, what was it, the Greeks or whatever, or the Romans mm-hmm. as the foot, and then the mountain comes and crushes it. Uh, and I don't know if there's like a connection between this because he is talking about the Babylonians. Uh, when we we're talking about God being that divine warrior, that all those nations that follow that are basically the brutal empires that kind of reign through, yeah, he comes and he stripped them all from head to toe and they weren't there anymore uh, and crushed them. He crushed the leaders. Literally, the vision was crushing them, uh, the leaders of the land of the wicked, and it was really Jesus who came and saved all of us, the anointed ones. Um, Like I said, I don't know if there's any validity behind that, it was just a thought that popped into my head. Uh, go out and do some research, everyone listening, uh, to see if maybe I've... That was verse 13. That's actually pretty cool. Um, I'm going to wrap up the show. If you want to get in contact with us with any questions or thoughts that you have on the book, email us at yourchurchfriends at gmail.com. Or if you need prayer, you could do the same. Uh, I am Chris. I'm Mjordlich. We are Your Church Friends. Thanks for listening. Nahum, Obadiah, Jude, Philemon, Haggai, Amen.